Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we have just sung that we want you to speak to us. Lord, I pray that that would truly be the desire of everyone here, that we would hear from you. Father, we must confess that we often listen to many other voices. Even this past week, Father, there have been things where our ears have been pulled away from you and we have listened to the words of the deceiver. Father, we have an amazing opportunity today to come into your presence through the ministry of your word and to hear you speak. So, Father, by your grace, work in our hearts that we can turn away and quiet the voices that have been speaking to us and lying to us all week long so that we may hear the word of truth. Father, may it not be the word of men. Lord, I have nothing novel to offer, but may it be the pure word from you. May our hearts recognize what we are able to do today, the privilege to hear from your word. So, Father, we know that your word promises that it goes forth and it never fails. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. So, Lord, today, accomplish that purpose within us. Have your way. May your spirit work. May we recognize our need of Christ. And may we seek to be conformed more into his image. Truly, Father, from what we do now, may it change us so that we may leave these doors different than when we first came in. We pray these things in Christ's precious name, pleading His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11, particularly this morning. We're not going to get through it all, surprise, surprise. Again, we are focusing and really taking up as our theme as we study 2 Peter what Peter says in verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1, that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And so as we have, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Peter, just a quick reminder, 1 Peter lays out for us the fact that we are called to be pilgrims. We are called to walk as though we do not belong in this world. And having that call now in 2 Peter, Peter calls us and shows us how we live that out. And the primary way we live that out, the primary way we walk as pilgrims, the power that we have as pilgrims is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus more allows us to better walk as a pilgrim 
throughout this world. And today, we're particularly going to be seeing how we are called to walk in freedom. This week and next week, we'll be considering how we walk in freedom. So if you look with me, we're going, we're going to be focusing on verses 5 through 11, but I want us to begin in verse 4 because verse 4 sets up what Peter is telling us in verse 5. In verse 4, it tells us that by Christ's own glory and excellence, in verse 3, He granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And then he makes this incredible statement about what it means to be a pilgrim. We are freed. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world, and that corruption exists because of sinful desire. And so, Peter draws a conclusion in verse 5. For this very reason, pointing back to the fact that we have escaped the corruption of the world, what are we to do? Make every effort. To supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My wife's grandfather, we called him Pap, um, we had, it, what brought me this to my recollection this morning is that we were having pancakes for breakfast this morning. So just a quick reminder, 9.15, if you want to have a good breakfast, we have something here for you. It's not always pancakes, but today we have pancakes. Every time we have pancakes, every time we think about pancakes, I think about my wife's grandfather, Pap. Pap grew up in the Great Depression. He was a young man, a boy and a young man in the Great Depression. And he knew what it was to truly not have anything to eat. In fact, many days, the only thing they had to eat was what they could scrounge together, which all they had was some lard and some flour. And they would put those two things together, and you know what they would do with them? They would cook them in a pan on or on a griddle, and that's what he would eat, flapjacks. Now, obviously, our pancakes today are much more sophisticated than lard and flour, but that created within him a distaste for pancakes so that the rest of his entire life, he said, I'm never eating another pancake. Now, why did he say that? Because he didn't have the freedom to have anything else. He was restricted to just having pancakes. And so it got to the point where he no longer wanted to have any more pancakes. Instead, he wanted to enjoy the other things that he now had freedom to enjoy. 
we tend to think, particularly in the scriptures, of how we have freedom in Christ. And oftentimes the command given about our freedom is to abstain from things. So just like Pap wouldn't eat any more pancakes, we think about the fact that now that we're free in Christ, we're to abstain from sin. And the scriptures bear this out. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the things that you've been freed from. Or in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather through love serve one another. And even Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, We are to live as people who are what? Free. But we don't use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. Rather, we, and here's the key, we live as servants of God. Now, the Scriptures bear out throughout these passages, don't go back to the sinful ways that you had in your slavery to sin. But Peter here now tells us something else. He gives us the other side of the coin. While we're called not to go back into sin, Peter now calls us to instead pursue righteousness. To live out that which we have been called to. That we are now not only freed not to sin, but we are freed to live for Jesus Christ. To live as servants of God. And so that's what our passage today points us to. Peter doesn't speak in the negative, saying don't do these things. Rather, Peter now tells us to do certain things. That the gospel has enabled us now to have a new way of living and new virtues that we pursue as believers. Now the reality is, and we all know this, that it is easy, incredibly easy for us to fall back into the former way of living. It's easy for us to, to go back And to be tempted by the things of this world. So how do we combat that? And in one sense, there is this reality that we're freed from these things. But we should busy ourselves so much with pursuing the righteousness of Christ that we don't even think about going back to the slavery of sin. What does that look like? Well, that's what we see here in 2 Peter. Peter is going to call us that ha- to show us that having been freed by Christ, we all must walk in that freedom and bear fruit from knowing Christ Jesus. Having been freed by Christ, we all must walk in that freedom and bear fruit from knowing Christ. Now, the first thing Peter points us to is the condition of freedom. We see the condition of freedom. Again, in verse 5, he says, for this very reason. So what is he doing? He's connecting what he said in verse 3. And what is this reason? It is the reason at the end of verse verse 4, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So what is our condition of freedom? It is first that we are freed from corrupt desires. Again, why should we walk in freedom? Because we've been freed. And specifically, we've been freed 
from the corruption of the world. Now, we all recognize that this world is corrupt. Everyone recognizes this. It is a universal truth. This world is corrupt. There are problems at every level, from societal issues to issues in government to issues in families to issues individually. There are issues in the created order where you know, we see plants dying, animals dying, people suffering, health issues. This world is corrupt. Why? And notice what Peter says. It is corrupted, that corruption is in the world because of our sinful desires. Peter's drawing on a very important truth regarding our salvation, that faith in Christ, which is what he, is, he begins this book with. He's writing to those who have obtained a faith that gives them standing with the righteousness of God. That that faith, that standing, it brings freedom from those desires. Now what's interesting is we tend to think of this freedom in results of actions. We no longer have to commit these particular type of sins. But Christ brings full freedom. He doesn't just change our actions. He changes our hearts. He changes the very things that we desire. Again, apart from Christ, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And what do we do? We once walked in those things. What did that walk look like? Well, we followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the what? Passions. What's another word for passion? Desire. We all lived in the desires of our flesh. We carried out those desires of both the body and the mind. And as we carried out those desires, we were by our very nature what? Children of what? Wrath. Like the rest of mankind. What Peter is drawing our attention to is the reality that this is past tense for the believer. Praise the Lord. We've been freed from this by faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of this new covenant work that God has done within us, He has given us a new heart and a new spirit. He takes away the heart of, of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He puts His spirit within us so that He can cause us to what? Walk in His statutes and be careful to obey his rules. The point Peter is making is that the reason we do not live righteously and the reason why we pursue sin is precisely because we desire it. We want it. You will never act, you will generally never act contrary to your desires. And in even those instances where we say, I'm going to act contrary to my desire. There is a greater desire driving that ultimately that, de that determines our actions. So for instance, all right, my desire at all times is that I would eat ham. All right? That is a righteous desire. I don't, I don't know. Maybe not a righteous desire. 
But I recognize that if I consume ham 24-7, 365, I will look like a ham. (laughs) So I deny myself certain things because I have another desire that's greater than that desire for ham, and that's the desire to be alive longer. So we're all driven by desires. What we desire determines how we act. And so what Peter is saying is, look, you've been freed from those sinful desires. You have new desires placed into you by the grace of God. Hallelujah, we are free in Christ. Because God, according to His promises in Christ, we have escaped that corruption. We've escaped that bondage. This is a work of His grace. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Have you ever looked back at your life before you came to know Christ and you look at your life now and you look at the things that you lived for, the things that that gave you satisfaction and they're repulsive to you. That's God's grace at work in your life that you no longer desire those things. So Peter is going to found this walk of freedom in the fact that we are freed from our corrupt desires. And here... Everything I'm saying to you from this point on is not going to make any sense unless you're still bound to the desires of this world. If you have never turned and repented of those things and turned and found faith in Christ alone, everything else that's going to follow will do you no good because you must be freed to live in freedom. And so the call, if you're watching online, if you're here in person, is turn to Christ Come to Him. Christ promises that all who come to Him, He will never cast out. And that He gives full and complete freedom. Maybe you're here today and you look at your life and you're just disgusted at the decisions you're making. You desire these things and they never satisfy. And and you're just chasing wind in your life. Because you're enslaved to the corrupt desires of this world, come to Christ. Turn to Him in faith and there find freedom. For in Christ you will escape the corruption of this world that exists because of sinful desire. So now that we are freed... What are we freed to do? Are we freed to go back to those sinful things that we're freed from? God forbid. And we've already seen different passages where the warning is issued. Don't let your freedom give you an excuse for sin. Just because you have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that does not mean, in fact, it is antithetical to what you have to go back out and live in slavery. No prisoner who is freed from their prison wants to run back into the prison. They are glad they are free. So now, what does it mean to live in this freedom? And we see now, before, our efforts 
were given towards living in corruption and sinful desire. Now, where are our efforts focused? We are now freed to labor intensely. We cannot neglect or cannot overlook the strong language that Peter is using here. He says in verse 5, For this very reason, because you've been freed, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then he gives us this list. Make every effort. Again, there is teaching that exists out there that we trust in Christ, we believe in Him, and then we sit back and let everything else happen. And because God is the one who is sovereign over our salvation, He's also going to be the one who is sovereign over our sanctification. And praise God, that is true. But that doesn't mean we take a apathetic or a laid-back approach to what it means to live in that freedom. Peter is saying, work hard. Make every effort to supplement your faith. The word that he uses here for make every effort, it speaks of three main things. It means haste or speed. So it, it speaks of importance. Right? I remember... Um, this was, I think, last year or two years ago. I was at my in-laws' house, and they have a little fire pit up on the up on the top of their hill. And I had created a fire because I'm a man and fire. Um, but anyways, and I had built this very big fire, and I did not do the good thing that you're supposed to do and clear away all the dried leaves from that fire pit. And so this big gust of wind took the fire and it pushed it into the leaves that were on the hill. And I began to panic <laughs> because I saw the fire leave the, the rocks. I mean, the, the fire pit was made like it's supposed to. I guess I maybe had the flames a little too high. And then next thing I know, there's fire over here and there's fire over here. And then I see the fire going up the hill and they live in a wooded area. And I'm like, great, I'm going to jail because I just set Swickley on fire. <laughs> so guess what I did? There was an urgency. I made haste. Ran down the hill, got water, started throwing down, kicking the fire down, and thankfully, I'm still here today. I did not burn down so quickly. But that, that idea of an urgency, of making haste, of doing it immediately, that is what Peter is calling us to do. That when we recognize and when we are freed from our sins and those corrupt desires, we quickly want to live differently. We make haste to do that. That every effort... And it also speaks of eagerness. Not only do we make haste, but we actually want to do it. It's our desire. We're eager to do it. It's something we love to do. And in that haste and speed and that eagerness, we then apply diligent effort. We study what we're supposed to do. It's not a haphazard thing, but rather we set ourselves at carefully doing what we're called to do. That is, all of those things are included in that term, make every effort. So I think it can, and throughout the New Testament, there's a word that is, that this word is translated in English that we don't use a lot that often in, in modern days, but I think it's a good word. It's the term zeal. Zeal best sums up what it means to make every effort. It speaks of an intense and essential Desire, it is that which comes to define us. So, I mean, if you 
here we are, Pittsburgh, sports-minded town. And if you're a, you're a Pirates fan, you're going to be zealous for the Pirates. And what are you going to do? You're going to talk about the Pirates. You're going to spend time going to Pirates games. You're, you're, you're going to be immensely disappointed, although they've been doing okay this year. But, but just let the, let, the, let the hat fall. Same thing with the Steelers or the Penguins. And we've all met fans like that, right? They're all about the Steelers or the Penguins or the Pirates. We've all met people like that. Would to God that we would be all about Jesus Christ. That we would be zealous to live out that life as we've been called to. That it would be the defining passion of our lives. That's what Peter means when he says make every effort. That it would be an immediate action. Zeal requires immediate action. Listen, I think sometimes we will come and we'll, we'll hear the word expounded and we'll know that we need to make changes. We know that, that things in our lives need to change and we need to, to adjust the way we're living, but we say, I'll do it next week. You know what that shows? You don't have zeal for the things of the Lord. You do it now. You take care of it now. And then we have that diligent effort We're not nonchalant towards the things of the Lord. We work hard for that which we are zealous for. I remember I had the opportunity and got a a beautiful typewriter. I know, here we go again with my typewriters. This is a 1930s um, uh, Smith Corona Silent, and it's in this deep, dark, burgundy red. And so I went and I picked it up. And as always, always the case with typewriters, nobody takes care of them like they're supposed to. So it was dusty. It was dirty. And you know what I did? I immediately when I got home, I got my, got my cleaning supplies out and I cleaned it up. And then I went, and this is the only typewriter I've done this with because it just was such a beautiful color. I went and got some car wax. And I waxed this thing. And I mean, it, it's like a mirror when you look into it. I did those things immediately. I worked intensely because it was something that I was zealous for. Now, certainly it's possible that my love of typewriters can be an idol. I wonder what may be the same thing in your own heart, because the thing that you are zealous for, the thing that you live for, that is an idol, unless it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is calling us to say, listen, if you truly have This freedom, you're going to love the one who freed you. By working hard, by by making every effort. And then he says to supplement your faith. Now, in churches that speak about justification by faith alone, that term, supplement your faith, may sound strange to some extent. Because we think, well... I don't have to do anything else but believe in Jesus, and then I'm good, right? That is not what the Bible prescribes. The Bible does not prescribe an empty or a naked or a free grace, or cheap grace, if you will, way of understanding salvation. Our faith brings about change that we now supplement, as Peter says here. The term supplement that he uses here, it's drawn from Greco-Roman culture. The root of the word refers to someone 
who would furnish what was necessary for a chorus to be performed. So if there was some festival in a town, and generally those festivals were involved in worshiping a particular god, the word that he uses here refers to a benefactor, someone who would provide everything else that was necessary so that the chorus could go on. They would maybe pay the performers. They would make sure that whatever instruments were there, that they were there. They would, they would make sure that there was a place to sit or that there was a place put aside for the chorus to stand. I mean, that's the idea that Peter is calling on here. And so what he's speaking of here is that word, and then he combines it with the preposition above. So in other words, to supplement lavishly. So, for instance, you can, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen music stands or whatever. We have music stands around here. And there's just the standard black metal music stand that's sort of old and beaten up or whatever. And then I've seen really ornate music stands that have gold edging on it and these, this metal scroll work that looks over it. And it's just absolutely beautiful. That is lavish. Is it enough to just have the, the old beaten up one. Absolutely, it does its job, but someone who is going above the provision will provide that ornate music stand. So what does this all mean for us? Peter is saying is that, listen, if you've been freed, then you need to make sure you are lavishly supplementing your faith. Not barely getting by, not doing the bare minimum, but that you are lavish in what you seek to have added to your faith. Peter is calling on his readers to zealously supplement their faith. The whole package is what he's calling for. He's not simply calling for hard work or diligent effort. That's not all he's calling here. He is calling for believers to have a deep-rooted, essential desire for God. That's given by the grace of God, and then that deep-rooted desire then propels their actions. When Paul says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that He has lavished upon us His grace, how can we then offer Him paltry offerings back? We must be lavish as He has been lavish to us. And here's the thing, if we're truly freed, if the reason for our making every effort to supplement our faith with these, um, these lists of virtues that we're going to go over in just a second, if that is truly the case because of faith that we have in Jesus Christ, then it's not going to feel like a, a chore. It's going to be a glorious, wonderful, joyful thing for us to live for the Lord, to give this way. Because we're free. We've been freed to live a new way. So pursue that new way with all your heart. What James says is key to understanding this. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then notice what he says. Show me your faith apart from your works. And the reason he asks that is, you can't do it. Because if you don't have works, guess what you don't have? Faith. Because faith without works is dead. Then he says, I will show you, I will demonstrate to you my faith by my works. 
And so again, he draws this to a conclusion. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Listen, we have to get away from the idea that faith and works are somehow in competition with each other. They complement each other. They complete each other. And this is illustrated most clearly in the person who lived zealously for the pleasure of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we have this Christmas verse that we often hear of. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we see all the things that the Messiah will be. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will have a government that brings peace, that will be no end, that he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He'll establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. What wonderful hope. But how do we know that it's going to happen? Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. God is zealous to accomplish these things. And he accomplished these things in Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he walked into the temple the first time, he found people being fleeced, being exploited, ridiculous exchange rates, charging outrageous amounts for pigeons to be offered in sacrifice. And he comes in there and he's angry. And what does his zeal prompt him to do? He turns over the tables. He drives out the money changers. And as his disciples see this, because of course Jesus is always presented as this very weak, loving individual, right? He is loving, but he is also true. And they step back and they look at Christ acting in this way. And they remember what was written about him. What will consume Christ? Zeal for his house. Jesus Christ is the great example of what this means. He lived fully free from these things. And what does he desire for us? He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. A people who are what? Zealous for good works. So, this is the condition of freedom. We are freed so that we could be those who make every effort to supplement our faith. Understanding the condition of freedom that we have, we now look to the path of freedom. And we're not going to be able to even finish this. So we're going to try to get through half of it this morning. What is it now that we are called to? What do we positively look to do? We know what it is that we put off. We know the things that we don't pursue. What does it now mean for us? And what we see is that Peter uses a chain of eight virtues for those who are freed in Christ And he bookends these two things with things that I think are very important for us to recognize. He begins with virtue. And we're going to talk about what those virtues are. We could also say excellence or moral excellence. And then at the end, in verse 7, what's the last one? 
love. Moral excellence and love. And really, the first one he begins with, I'm sorry, moral excellence is the, is the thing where the, we begin to supplement with faith, but the first virtue is truly itself faith. Faith is that first virtue. So faith and what? Love. And we see in the Scriptures, these things are chained together. As Paul tells us, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only what? Faith working through love. Isn't it amazing how the Bible has the same author who says the same things? And so we have to recognize that our freedom in Christ is not about moralism. And that's what, that's what Paul is pointing to in Galatians 5. Listen, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not about some tradition or rules that man has set up. That means and counts for nothing. But what does count, what is truly true of us as we have... Freedom by faith is faith working through love. It is in this way that we keep the whole law. Remember what the whole law is? You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this path of freedom... We'll pick up here next week because I just don't have enough time to, to go any further. But let me ask you, is your life freed by God's grace through your faith in Christ alone? Are you freed from these things? And if you are, then what type of zeal is evident in your life? What are the things you're zealous for? What do you live for? What are you working hard at doing? So many of us who claim to be believers are working hard to build our own kingdom. Whether that be a kingdom of career success, financial success, having all the toys we want in life. We can end up being zealous for those very things. And those things often call us back to a life full of sin, full of compromise, full of turning away from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they lead us right back into the sinful desires of this corrupted world. That's why Jesus tells us, listen, Lay your treasures up where? In heaven. Be zealous for the reality that you've been freed to pursue things that will last long after this world is crushed and burned. Is that what you're zealous for here today? What are you living for? What zeal fills your life. Listen, we have a condition of freedom. Peter is calling us to make every effort to supplement our faith, to be zealous for these things. 
are you? May God, by His grace, call us to be zealous for Christ and His kingdom alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth we find in it. And Lord, we ask that You would work and take Your Word, apply it, convict. Lord, may we truly be zealous for the things of You. May we work hard at supplementing our faith with the virtues you've called us to. Father, may we take this desire, Lord, and may we meditate on the rest of this passage this week so that, Lord, as we come together to explore these virtues further next week, that we would be prepared and ready and desiring to know more what it means to live for you. Father, work in our midst by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. in prayer. Our gracious Father, we ask, Lord, that we would be consecrated. Father, as Peter calls us to make every effort to do these things, may we earnestly, zealously, inflamed by the freedom we have in your grace, may we truly seek to live for you. Father, work in our midst. May we truly leave these doors seeking to be consecrated more to you. Thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. May we live it out by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his